Well, we've been in the letter of James. Uh, it's a New Testament letter. And in fact, we know it's the very first letter probably written in the New Testament, somewhere around f- the 40s, right? Not, not 1740, not 1840, not 1940, just straight 40, long time ago. And it is a letter addressed to Christians who are spread out all over the place. And we call it, it's our, it's our practical faith series. Really, it's called Faith Works. And... Uh, if you have been with us for a little while, if you don't have one of these yet, it's a little CityGate journal. You can use one of these and journal your FaithWorks study guide throughout the letter of James in this little thing. They're free. Just grab one on the way out. And what we're encouraging you to do throughout the summer, summer are great times for reflection, is to just journal some of the things you're learning in the Word of God as you hear it preached on Sunday and as you practically put it into practice throughout the week. So uh, go ahead and grab one of these on your way out. You can just uh, write down what God is telling you through your prayer life, through reading the Word. Um, and James gives us so much practical information to live by, we can write those things down and journal our journey with God. Well, here we go. We're in James chapter 1. And uh, my first question I want to ask is, are there any avid runners in the building this morning? Anybody willing to admit that they just love running? You don't have to raise your hands. If you do, uh, we'll all laugh at you. But are there any avid runners? You know, believe it or not, I was an avid runner at one point in my life. I did. I committed to running. I remember the day I actually challenged myself to start running because I would make fun of all my friends who ran. That's all I did. I said it was close to sin. I said that they were, they were not walking with Jesus because they would put their body through all that stress. Why would you ever do that over and over and over again? And they finally said, well, why don't you try it? And so I said, well, that's a good comeback. So I tried it. And I ran, and uh, it didn't go well, but, but I did train, okay? I started to run. I bought the shoes. Uh, the very first race that I ran was a relay race to South Haven, okay? I showed up. Now, my friends didn't instruct me on what to buy, what to wear, how to do this. I showed up in thermal long john underwear, basketball shorts, stocking hat, and a long sleeve cotton t-shirt. Don't ever run any significant steps or miles in that attire. I was soaked. It was not good, and they made fun of me the entire time. I participated in many races, though, over that course of a year. I did uh, two 5K races. I did a 10K race. I did a thing called the Warrior Dash. It's kind of like a race, kind of not. It's where strong people can actually get over the wall, not me. I went around. Um, I did a half marathon trail race. Yeah, it was in the woods. Yeah, you run through trails, and you trip on roots, and you fall on the ground, and get dirty, that kind of stuff. But let me tell you, at the end of one year's time, I was done. I was done. I, didn't, I wanted no part of running. I started to develop pain in my, what they call IT bands, or somewhere around your knees. I don't know the science of it, but it feels like your knees are about to explode. That's basically what it feels like when your IT bands hurt. And it was that final race and that, that marathon trail run where I realized this is not for me. I started out well, first seven miles, doing good, jumping over roots, running through trails, running in the woods. That's kind of fun. Uh, but my right knee started to throb, and I kept telling myself, don't walk, don't walk, don't walk, right? You're tough. There's thousands of people watching you. Don't walk. Well, eventually I had to walk. I couldn't take it anymore. Long story short, I did finish the race. Not how I wanted to finish, but I finished, and it was in that moment as I sort of did one of those, like, you ever run and walk and jog at the same time? Nobody really knows what you're doing, (laughs) right? So you can't be made fun of because you walk because you're really not walking, but nobody thinks you're running. It was one of those things. And I turned the corner and I saw my family and all my friends and my face looked like death and I was not happy. Uh, But I remember that was the moment I thought, I'm done with this. This is, I'm never going to run again. I did that because I had so much pain in my knee, but it could have been avoided. I didn't have the proper training regimen. 
I mean, I think before I ran 13 miles in the woods, I, I had at most run like eight and a half miles on pavement in Portage. That was it. I thought, well, I can get through eight, I can get through eight miles. I surely can get through 13. Don't ever think that. That's, that's the wrong way to think. I did not train properly. The training is not like a, a revolutionary concept, is it? We, we train for all sorts of stuff. Just look at what Olympians do. If you want to compete at the world's highest level, you have to train and eat and do everything in a very specific order for a specific amount of time to be able to accomplish what you need to accomplish. We train for work. We train for our hobbies. We train for fitness goals. We even train our children to obey. Our life is full of training routines. But this isn't about running this morning. I don't know if you guys get that yet. It's not really about running, it's about training, and there's one training routine that I'm convinced, and I'd like to argue this morning, that we fall short on in our life as as followers of Jesus Christ, and that is training for temptation. We fail to train properly for temptation. So here's the big idea this morning, here's what I want you to walk away with. It is possible to live in a way today that helps you thrive tomorrow. Absolutely possible. To change the way you live today so you can thrive tomorrow. Our current series is called Hashtag Faith Works. Uh, that's what we've been posting and, and journaling in our book. Uh, it's basically a practical guide to this thing called life. Our teacher is James. Our manual is the word of God. And so let's open our Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 12 through 8. And I'm going to read just a few of those verses for us. And then we'll get going. You ready, Phil? Give me that one slide. Yep. Yeah. Blessed is the man, this is verse 12, who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers slash sisters, right? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures." Our friend James tells us that happy, blessed, we know that as happy, happy is the person who remains strong under trial. For when he, she, for when you remain strong, you will receive the crown of life. You will receive a, a, a crown that symbolizes and embodies eternal life and spiritual success. That's that crown. That's what it's referencing there. Spiritual success, eternal life. But this only comes through persevering, a persevering, loving relationship with God. Now we're in James 12 through 18, and this verse kind of hinges the first 11 we've already talked about. You can catch those on the website, and it also gets us ready for the next six we're going to talk about. So uh, that, that verse about receiving the crown of life, steadfast under trial, we're talking about temptation, but we did previously talk about trials. James is a natural encourager in this moment. He's encouraging us to stand firm under trial, stand firm under the testing, because It is through our perseverance where we get to receive this true life, this crown of life. Now, James, in telling us that eternal life will be rewarded for those who do persevere, 
in their faith helps us answer one of the age-old questions that we wrestle with from day to day to day. I'm convinced every single person has asked himself this question in their life. Is there more to life? Is there something more to life than what I can see or experience today? Have you ever asked yourself this question? Anyone here lived through a bad day and at the end of the bad day you go, what's the point? What is the point? Isn't there more to life than this? It seems like a simple question, but it has a great impact. See how you answer that question has a significant impact on the way you travel throughout your life. So right where you're at this morning, just consider some of your life right now. Is there more to life than the hobby I'm passionate about? Do you think there's more than the hobby you're passionate about? Do you think there is more to this life than the relationship I am in or the relationship I am pursuing? Is there more to this life than the amount of money I can earn? Is there more to this life than pursuing moments of pleasure? Is there moments of life than deciding where to travel? That's a good one for us in Michigan, right? You got 35 days left. Go somewhere. I'm begging you. Is there more to this life than what I can see, than what I can experience, than what I can touch? James says that life is about receiving the crown. James says all of life, all of your trials, all the things you've worked through, all the things you're working towards is to receive a simple crown. And we think, I don't want a crown. I like hats. I don't wear hats. I don't want a crown. The crown is a symbol of eternal life. The crown is a symbol of your spiritual success. It's like a wreath. Think of a wreath given to an athlete at the end of an event or a medal. That's the, symbol, that's the symbol James gives us. To all those who keep their faith, who keep their belief in God, even in the middle of suffering, even in the middle of the trials that God gives you in your life, even in the middle of the temptation that we act on, God will reward spiritual success with eternal life. A life of perfect joy, a life of never-ending peace, lived in the presence of God forever with him. This new eternal life is something that Jesus taught a lot about when he was walking the earth. He, talked, he called it his kingdom. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. That's what he told people when he was alive. And that probably blew their mind because they wanted a physical, real, tangible kingdom that they could see. They wanted Jesus as an earthly king to free them from the Roman oppression. They wanted Jesus to set them up and feed them and provide for them right then and there on the earth at that moment. But Jesus kept saying, my kingdom is not of this world. I come to introduce you and to bring you to a kingdom that is not of this world. The mission of Jesus is to bring people into the kingdom of God. The mission of his life is to bring you into the kingdom of God to live eternally with him. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, the author of this letter, echoes Jesus, echoes his brother. He says all of life should be focused on living in such a way that at the end of time, when your life is finished on earth, you receive a crown that symbolizes spiritual success. That success leads to eternal life. It's a good reminder. It's a good reminder in the, the busyness of our week. It's a good reminder in the busyness of our year or all the goals we set here on this earth while we are alive. The problem we have, the thing that we trip ourselves up on is not having an eternal perspective. We all get caught up in living for the moment making decisions because we live in the moment. Making decisions based on what will happen on this earth, never thinking about, well, what happens when my life on this earth is over? Just so you know, every religion attempts to answer that one question. Every religion on the planet that's ever been created attempts, attempts to answer what happens when you die. 
It's their whole reasoning for doing what they do because they think at death, all religions think at death, they have the key, they have the answer of what's going to happen. Well, we see in the scripture that Jesus, the son of God, God in human form, answered that question perfectly for us and gave us the path to get there. You see, whether the stresses or the successes of this life, no matter where you're at here this morning, you walked in super stressed or you walked in super successful, I don't know. We all carry a different burden walking into these doors. This life at best is temporary. It is temporary. Whether you are stressed or you are feeling successful, it will still fade away when our life is over. Temporary, that word temporary brings a story to my mind. I'm a father of five, so you can imagine what my house is like at any given day. Uh, and my children have always been into these tattoos, right? Not the real kind, don't judge me too quick, the fake kind, the one that you put on your skin with water. So at any given moment, I could probably walk into my bathroom. Water is everywhere. My three-year-old's got a rag dripping with water. You don't need it that wet. You just need it damp. I've told them that a hundred times. And they're putting tattoos usually all over their brother's arm because when you're two, you can do anything, right? Anything gets done to Luke. He's the youngest. They don't matter. They just, they put him through the test. About five or six tattoos traveling up their arm and they're just happy as ever. Everywhere they go, they want a temporary tattoo. But let me tell you, about 24 hours after that two is put on and it starts to fade, their joy just fizzles out. They are mad. Where did my tattoo go? The joy of having that tattoo nice and crisp on their arm is gone. Why? Because it fades. They forget the tattoo is temporary. Friends, take joy in the things that God has given you. We must never forget to be grateful. I think we can all say, yeah, you're, you're right. I, there's times where I'm not grateful. We must never forget to be grateful, to be thankful what God has given us on this earth. But there's one thing that we always need to remember, no matter what we are given or the experiences we live in, negative or positive, all of this life is temporary. It's temporary. It will fade away. The Bible says God has created us for so much more than what we can see today. The Bible says that God has so much more for us after death. He has created us to live eternally with him forever in perfect peace and perfect unity. Think about that. With the God who created everything. With the God who created everyone. James says he is the father of lights. There is no darkness in him. So no matter the amount of darkness you're experiencing today, there is a path where you live eternally with God forever, with the father of lights. The Bible does the same thing. It answers the question, what happens when we die? But before we get there, James says, there are some things that we have to conquer in order to reach the final stage of success. And this is where we start to get confused because at this church, we are very open about what the good news of Jesus is, that no one earns salvation, he did it for us, that no one can bring anything before God and earn their way into relationship with him. The Bible says that you, you follow Jesus, you're in a relationship with Jesus, you believe in who he is, you believe in what he did, and that is your security for your salvation, right? That's what the gospel is. We never give anybody good advice. We always give people good news. That's what we're about, good news. But, so what is James doing? James is saying, no, you have to persevere. You have to do things really, really well. You're not gonna end up with eternal life. You're not gonna end up with the crown of eternal life. That's why this book is really focused on your faith. James says, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, it should look a certain way. It should taste a certain way. It should act a certain way. People should see a certain type of person if you're following Jesus Christ. 
That's a big challenge for us. Verse uh, 13, he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Verse 15, then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. What James tells us, unlike the trials that we talked about a few weeks ago, the testing of God, which happens, God doesn't tempt us to sin. Trials are purposeful, meant to mature and strengthen our faith. Temptations we face come from within us. It is the desire of the heart which causes us to act upon the things that tempt us. It's not God's fault we act on that temptation. It's our fault. James says that each person, you and you and you and you and me, most of all, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Let me stop here for a moment and let me explain why we talk about sin in this church. Let me explain why we sing to Jesus, give to Jesus, why we learn about Jesus. It is because if it wasn't for Jesus, we would still be in our sin. Sin, it's a word that is bad, okay? Think of just bad, straight out bad. Don't think of anything else but bad. It is a rebellion against God. It is not obeying God's laws. It is acting as though we are God. It's all that wrapped into one. We talk about sin a lot and so does James. But unlike the trials that God gives us in this life, God never says, let me put the shiny bait of sin in front of your face because I want to see you fall. God doesn't do that. James is very clear. God may put a trial in your life. He will never tempt you with sin. That's really hard for us to understand. And it's hard because we blame God for the negative things, but we always take, we always take, uh, uh, we always take the credit for the positive in our life, don't we? That's our fallen condition, we call it at this church. That's our state. That's our body. That's our heart. That's our mind. We are in sin. Yes, God is all-powerful and all-knowing. Yes, he is exhaustively, right, in control of everything. Yet the Bible is also very clear. There is no darkness within him. So when James says uh, God cannot tempt you with sin, he also says God cannot be tempted with evil, nor, that's what this means, nor can he tempt anyone. He's not going to tempt anyone to sin. Some of you here this morning and you've lived a certain way and essentially what you're doing is saying, well, if God never gave me that predisposition, if God never put that in front of my face, I never would have done it. The Bible says that's not true. The Bible says we acted on that because we wanted to. It was our sin desire to take the bait. This is where we start to get uncomfortable. This is a huge challenge. I know it's like vacation week and everybody's like, man, I wanted to feel good. You will feel good, okay? It's gonna be amazing. The end of the sermons are always the best. But listen, we get uncomfortable because it's true. If we really look at ourselves, we say, I acted upon the desire that I had in my life. All of the temptations we act upon were because that desire is within us because we are separated from God. We're not at peace with God. We're not at peace with God. We are at odds with God. Only through Jesus Christ can we be at peace with God. That's it. 
It's only through relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when Adam and Eve, we call them our our first parents. It's in the beginning of your Bible. Way over here, there's a story. Open up the very first page of your Bible and you can read it for yourself. Adam and Eve, the first created beings, they rebelled against God. The Bible says that everybody born after them has born with this desire to sin, this desire to be God, this desire to make our own rules, this desire to do what makes us feel best in the moment. That's our sin nature. Mind, body, and soul. We are rebels towards God. We do not love his laws. We do not love to obey his commands. We loathe the very presence of his love if we're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And even when we're walking with Jesus, sometimes we reach this valley where we don't know what we want. We don't want anything to do with God. That's for sure. But, best word in the Bible, But what if today we could begin to resist temptation to rebel against what God wants for us? James says there is a way to resist temptation. What if today we could resist temptation that has been plaguing us for years? And some of us have been driving around the same cul-de-sac of sin for a very long time. We've just been going in a loop. And it destroys us. And it doesn't feel good. Now, in the moment when we act on what we want to act on, it feels amazing. And then seven seconds later, we're like, well, that was dumb. I shouldn't do that. Listen, if that's you, you're in the perfect place. Because that's me. That's everybody in this room. Amen? Thank you. Now you're with me. Listen, everyone is welcome. No one is perfect. This is not a church where you will find people that look at you sideways because of your story. It won't happen. We all have a story. That's why we're here. We all have a story That's why we're here. But let me tell you, you matter to God. Every story matters to God. What if today we could fight back against that desire that essentially destroys our life when we act upon it? What if? How different would your marriage look if in the moment you were tempted to be selfish, you took a different approach? How different would your marriage look? How different would the marriages look in our community if when we were tempted to be selfish with our time and our energy and our emotions, we actually took a different approach? How different would our children look? And if the moments we were tempted to act out in rage, we took a different approach to addressing them. How different would our career be? How different will all of our careers be? And if the moment we either wanted to gossip about a coworker, we didn't, or the moment we wanted to say, I cannot believe I work at this place, this place stinks, we thought, thank you God for the job, how different would our careers be? How different would your life be? If in those moments of temptation, You took a different approach. See, here's the deal. Without the spirit of God, we live in total self-destruct mode. And we don't even realize it. Without the presence of God, we live in total self-destruct mode. And then we think it's some sort of cosmic karma that's out there to get us. We think the universe is, is like totally after us. Listen, you're not that cool for the whole universe to want to be after you. You're not like public enemy number one of the stars, okay? That's not how it works. We actually think we're that special sometimes. Now you are special. I want you to know that. The universe is not after you. We think everybody around us is not willing to be nice to us. That's the reason why. Most times we think God is just being a straight bully towards us. James says it's not true. Because God cannot tempt anyone with evil. He says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. This is why the the good news of Jesus Christ actually is really, really cool. Verses like this actually make me more excited that God saved me. Because here's why. Because if all the darkness is within me and God's just not playing with me like a puppet, 
then what Jesus did for me is actually really, really good. Because without him, I could never receive the love of God. I couldn't do it. Why? Because the desire within me is to not want to receive the love of God. It's to only want to sin. If you're a Christian here this morning, you should actually take a deep breath if you know Jesus Christ and say, yes, this actually reminds me how wicked I am. And I am so thankful that God still chose me and God made me alive in Jesus Christ. That is the good news. This actually intensifies God's love for us through Jesus Christ when we realize it's our own desire. We are not puppets on a string. I can't help, help but think of the metaphor of, of the luring and the, and the desire, uh, uh, the, the story about fishing, right? It's so easy to say, oh, I can, I can imagine fishing right here. There's this new lake that I've been fishing on with a certain someone who likes to take me out on Sunday nights. And I think the only fish we catch in this lake are about this big, okay? We've caught a lot of them. Well, maybe there's one about that big. That's it. But let me tell you, every time you throw your bait in the water, you will catch a fish that big without fail. It will happen as soon as the bait hits the water. Those little teeny dumb fish, they cannot say no to the fake bait. They can't do it. It's got to hurt. That hook is big. Over and over and over again, when we go to this lake, I can throw my lure in the water. It sits on top of the water and boom, a fish comes and gets it without fail. I mean, the kids absolutely love it. There is never a dull moment. I don't want this for your life. I don't want it for my life. I don't want you to take the fake bait of sin. See, I don't want you to take the fake bait of pleasure. I don't want you to take the fake bait of success, the fake bait of power, the fake bait of money. Because in all of those things, you will sin in opposition to God. You will make those things greater than God. The big idea, you can live in a way today that helps you thrive tomorrow. We can do that. We can do that today. We can stop taking the bait of sin. Some of you right now can say, yes, that's the thing I tend to do nearly every day. And I know it's wrong. I don't feel good after I do it. I don't like the person I am when I speak that way. I don't like the person I am when I address people that way. I actually like my relationship I'm in because I'm the problem. We know the things that we do that we don't like. We can all find that in our mind and in our heart right now. We can identify that. I'm not asking you to share that because that'd be goofy and weird, but we all know that. So that's where we get to the practical part of the message. What can we do today to live differently tomorrow? James gives us the ability in verses 14 and 15. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth. So desire to birth to sin, sin brings death. That's the end result death, separation from God. So here we go. If you got your journal out, you got your phone, open it up. We're going to do some very practical application about living in a way today that helps you thrive for tomorrow. We know the problem. We know the problem is our desire. We know the solution. We know it's Jesus Christ. But what do we do in the meantime with our temptation to sin? See, if you're a Christian here this morning, we're somewhere in the middle, okay? We're in the middle of two different glorious things. Number one, we receive Jesus Christ. We're cleaned. We're saved. We're forgiven by God. You need to know that. No matter what you do, past, present, or future, God says, I have separated the sins from you as far as the east is from the west. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer under God's judgment. Okay? You need to know that. But we're not in heaven yet. That's the second part of your salvation, where we get to live eternally with God. There will be no more sin. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. There will be no more crying. All the evil that we hate today will be gone then. So what do we do now? It's in this moment 
This is where we need the instruction. So this is where we do, we're going to do like the four D's of temptation, okay? This is the practical thing. Get something to write on. Number one, we're going to talk about four steps of training for temptation. If I would have trained properly for my half marathon, I'd probably still be running. Thank God I didn't, okay? Because I don't want to run anymore. Here's how, we, uh, here's how we train for temptation. Number one, identify desire. You got to identify your desire. If the desire is within us, then we need to be honest with ourselves about what that desire is. Like really honest with ourselves. There is specific desire or desires within each one of us that destroy us. The Bible calls these desires the desires of the flesh, the things that we want, the things that we feel. We must be honest with ourselves and identify our desire. Maybe your desire is physical pleasure. This is a big one, right? It's, it's the relationship piece. It's the intimacy piece. It's the thing that we fail at a lot. If you are single and ready to mingle, change your approach to dating because our desire is to want to be intimate with people. We have that desire. It's within us. You got to know what your boundaries are. You got to put up your guardrails. You got to make sure you have physical boundaries and emotional boundaries and do not waken passion until it is time. If you desire physical pleasure and you're married, make sure you cut off anyone or anything that can sneak into your heart and to your mind to cause you, to tempt you to look at another man or woman in a way you should not be looking at another man or a woman unless they're your wife or your husband. This is no joke. We all know this desire. It's within each one of us. Remember, it's okay. You should be here. We all have the same struggles. You're not the weird one. We're just all the weird ones, okay? We are not to look at somebody who is not our husband and wife with lustful intent. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with pornography, this is a, it's a topic we visit quite a bit because I know, we know, it destroys marriages, it destroys relationships. If you're single, it will destroy your future relationship if you are caught up in pornography. Can I tell you from the bottom of my heart, you're still welcome here. You're not dirty. You're not messed up. God cares for you. He can heal you. We have several leaders at this church, men who are signed up for accountability software. I just want you to know as a church, there would be no man who was in a leadership position here that we do not monitor their computer activity for at least a year. That's what we do. We want to so much, we want to cut off all the things that can come into our life and destroy us. This is a big one. This is a really, really big one, but it is a desire that is within us, but we can battle the temptation. We can do it. If you desire power, that's another big one. Just be honest with yourself. You're actually not as humble as you think you are, and everyone knows it. If you desire power, you manipulate, you'll be aggressive, you'll be really hard to work with. See, it's actually you at work that's the problem. I just told you that for the first time. You're welcome. It's probably not those other people. Whatever it is, identify your desire. What do you want most in this life? It's not Jesus. If it's not the person of Jesus, that desire is sinful. And we all struggle with it. We all have them. Number two, okay? Identify desire. Be honest with yourself. Number two, do not discount the deception. Do not discount the deception. When we act upon the desire, we're not real with ourselves because we actually discounted the amount of danger it's going to do to our lives. We've cheapened it. 
Unless you're telling yourself like, turn and run when that desire hits, you're discounting the, the amount of damage acting on that desire is going to do. You're cheapening it. You think it's not gonna be that bad. That's what we do. We, we rationalize it. We quickly, we quickly move from desire to self-deception. Our mind and our heart engages with what we want. We rationalize it. And there's not even a chance to slow down and consider the outcome. That's how quick we move. The cost of acting upon our desire is dangerous and deadly. Identify your desire. Do not discount the deception. So when you're being tempted, and we all know what that's like to be tempted, we all know in that split second when we're faced with something and we go, okay, I know I shouldn't do it, but I really want to. We know that desire is there. Number two, just know the second thing you will do as a person who has not reached heaven yet, although you have been forgiven by God because the desire is within us, is you will discount the amount of danger that desire will do. Just know that. Be honest with yourself. You have to say, okay, I want to act in that desire, and my mind and my heart are telling me that I, I should, but I need to look at my wife one more time. I just need to not treat my children like I want to right now. I need to manage my relationships that work better because my desire is telling me all that stuff doesn't matter, but it does. It absolutely does. Number three, this is where we go into design mode, okay? So we, we have desire, we discount the deception, we start rationalizing things. Number three, what we must do to train for temptation is we must destroy the design. This is where we go into design mode, right? We start designing how we're actually going to fulfill that desire. We design the elaborate plan to sin and act on our desire. The moment you start constructing and e-building this elaborate deception, you know it's time to walk away. If you are in design mode, you just need to say, God, please, please save me from this right now. I'm designing a way to sin against my family member, against my wife, my spouse, my coworker, my children. I'm going to do something that's going to destroy me and I'm designing how to do it. Would you please save me right now? It's in all of these moments where God will hear and he will listen. I need you to know that. The cool thing is later in another book of the Bible, it says that God will never tempt you about something that you cannot handle. He always provides you a way out. Isn't that beautiful? Wait, John, you said God doesn't tempt us. He doesn't. But he always gives you a way out of the temptation and the desire that you have in your own life. That's what it says in another book of the Bible. There's always a way out. Even in those moments where in the deepest valley we don't feel like there's a way out and sin and that desire has control of us, controlling everything that we do, the Bible says there is a way out. If you are start, if you're in the mode of design, that's when you know, hold on a second, this is not good. Number four, we're finishing up here. You must distance yourself from disobedience. So identify the desire, Okay. Some of us right now, our marriages could be much stronger if we're just honest with the way we're, we're, our sin is wired inside of us. If we stop discounting how much damage it's going to do to our spouse, and if we stop constructing ways to sin against them without them knowing, your marriage is going to look different. Just going to be completely honest with you. It's hard, but it will. The fourth thing, distance yourself from disobedience. This is kind of really the start, although it's at the end. We have to distance ourselves from disobedience. James is writing to a bunch of Christians, sometimes in the 40s. They're all spread out, and he's given them a way that they are called to live. You don't think the Christians in the 40s dealt with the same thing we deal with today? They absolutely did. People are people. We just have iPhones, right? Nothing's really changed. 
That's the difference. We have technology. That's the only difference in people. We've always been the same. Or an Android phone, whatever you want, okay? Sorry to take sides. We must distance ourselves from disobedience. All of us need to consider how we are interacting with disobedience on an everyday, everyday rhythm of our lives. Maybe it's in our relationships. Maybe it's when we're alone. The longer we remain in an atmosphere of disobedience, the easier it is for temptation to lure us in. Now here's the pushback. But John, I love Jesus, and I just want all of them to love Jesus. Listen, you're not Jesus, okay? So yes, Jesus hung out with people that were absolutely not like him. Jesus hung out with people like you and me, wicked people. But you don't have the power of Jesus to hang out in an atmosphere with wicked people over and over and over again and think that you're going to come out unaffected. Now, this is the balance, isn't it? I'm not telling you to totally seclude yourself from people that are not like you. What I'm actually is, is saying, stay next to them, tell them God loves them. But if their disobedience causes your desire to take a hold of you, you need to think about what you're surrounding yourself with. Sometimes it is very, very true that our company will dictate our future. It's absolutely true. A lot of us are stuck in things in this life cycles that we can't get out of. We need to realize Sometimes it's the people that we're around that we care the most about. We all have that story, don't we? Growing up, I had friends that I would never, ever thought I'd walk away from. I had a community of people that loved me and I loved them. I met them when I was like 11 years old in elementary school or, I don't know, sixth grade, whatever you are at 11 years old. And I still know two of them today. Some of them have died for their lifestyle. But it was in a moment when I was a young adult where I had to say, if I'm gonna follow Jesus... I think I have to distance myself from these guys. But you know what I do about four times a year? I call them, I text them, I drive and see them, and then I drive home. I'm still going to hug them. I'm still going to tell them I love them. I always tell them about Jesus. That's when they start to get mad. But they love me too, so it's okay. But you see, I have to distance myself from some of this stuff because I knew what my desire was. It was to do exactly what they were doing, and it was destroying my life. You have to distance yourself from disobedience. As a husband and a wife, or uh, you have to figure out what disobedience is in your house, and you have to distance yourself from it. You have to help one another. As a single person, you need a community of people around you to say, man, I'm single. Ain't nobody got a hold of me. I can do whatever I want, right? There's nobody around me, right? You need friends that can say, yeah, you should come hang out with us instead. You shouldn't do that anymore. It's hard. It's a must. Okay, listen, if we do not get this, if we do not get this, James says that desire will lead to death. Desire will lead to death. Spiritual death, physical death. If we do not get this, our sin will lead to death. Here's the reality of our situation. I'll start to close here, which means I got like six more minutes. When we act upon our desire and give it a chance to live, right? Where sin and desire lives, Jesus doesn't. Wherever sin lives, Jesus doesn't. Jesus said he came so he would give people life and life abundantly, like more life than we needed. What does that mean? I don't know. It's crazy. Jesus said he would give us more life than we can actually handle. Overflowing, real, joyful, peaceful life. He came to give life in large quantities, but let me tell you, where sin lives, Jesus doesn't. It's a lot to consider. 
Living within this world as a follower of Jesus Christ is not simple, so let me remind you, no matter the temptation you are struggling with today, it is possible, it is possible to live in a way today that helps you thrive for tomorrow. This is a little different kind of message than we're used to on Sunday morning. It's very practical. The application you can take and use right now. Don't give me the credit. Just give it to James and God. They're the ones who wrote it down. But James wrote a letter in this type of way to equip Christians with dealing with this kind of stuff. We have the tools. We have the spirit we need. We must train for temptation. Let me close by giving you the key uh, the, the sort of key um, igniter to your training, okay? The, the last verses are actually what should spark us to want to go into this type of training for temptation. 17 and 18, it says, every good gift, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Verse 18, of his own will, he, that's God, brought us forth by the word of truth, that's Jesus, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, Here's the good news, that although we are filled with sinful desire, there exists a God who is perfect. That's what we first need. We need perfection. James calls him the father of lights. And that he's just reiterating what he already said. If God cannot tempt anyone with evil, therefore there is no darkness in him. That's why we're gonna call him the father of lights. A God with no darkness. A God who will never change. And the perfect gift he brings is an act that he accomplished on his own. This is the perfect God of lights, that he sent his perfect son to absorb all of your darkness so you can receive all of his light. That's the good news. The good news is if that you're driving around the same cul-de-sac of desire and sin, God will actually take all of that. He'll take it all. That's the act of the cross. That's Jesus Christ dying on a cross. He took all of your sin. Everything that God was angry about, he poured it out on Jesus so you could have all of his goodness, all of his light. He sent his one and only son into the world to absorb all of the darkness so you can receive all of his light. And so today, he gives you an opportunity to respond. He gives you an opportunity to fight temptation, to live in a way today that helps you thrive tomorrow. Because listen, it's not just about our end life when we reach heaven. It's about God giving you abundant life today. Will you respond to the father of lights? Will you give him all of your darkness? Will you respond in faith and belief that who he is and what he did is enough for you? And do you want to live in a way today that helps you thrive tomorrow? Will you take the training for temptation and not fizzle out around mile eight like I did because I was not prepared? See, this, tra this training gets you throughout the rest of your life. And just know that there's a God alongside you who loves you and who will forgive you but we must engage in training for temptation. I do pray, and I have prayed all week that some of you would respond to God, maybe for the first time today. That you would say, yes, that's the kind of life I want. Yes, that's the God I want to follow. Yes, that's the relationship I absolutely need. Because I've never met anyone that is perfect and willing to die on my behalf so I could actually fight the temptation that I face every single day. It's not good advice. It's good news.